This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next, it's Liberty Now On Air, discussions from a libertarian perspective. Welcome to episode number four of Liberty Now. I'm your host, John Verd. Thank you for stopping by. This is the show where we believe in common sense. We seek the truth and can think for ourselves. I'll be here every Saturday at 10 p.m. to chat with you about stuff that matters to you and me and everyone we know. We'll be following the stories behind the headlines, asking questions, and talking to people who are taking action. Today we're talking about fluoridation, and what the heck does that have to do with liberty? And do we really know what it's all about? For a long time, questioning this topic has been dismissed by mainstream media and public officials as tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. But whether you're pro or anti-fluoridation, it really comes down to public health and informed consent. Should you have the right to know what's being added to your drinking water? And should you have the right to decide? Here's a clip from today's interview with Mary Byrne. You know, once I found out the truth about fluoridation, um, I felt compelled to tell people about it because I realized that some people are really, really seriously harmed. You know, they can't yeah. even live their life normally because they're hypersensitive to fluoride. And they're, they're sick. They're just continually sick. And, and probably yeah. not even knowing what's causing their illness. If, if this is in the, the everyday drinking water. Um, no, definitely not. It's like the last place people think of. That was Mary Byrne of Fluoride Free New Zealand. She's been an influential voice for more than 20 years in the growing awareness about fluoridation in New Zealand. And we're very privileged to have her on the show. If you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now. Thank you for stopping by. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, flick me an email to john at libertynow.com. Okay, let's get into this interview with Mary Byrne. Mary, good to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, likewise. And it sounds like you've been very busy. Would it be fair to say you're a fluoride crusader? <laughs> Crusader, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think this is of particular concern to the community, and, and that's why I really wanted to bring you on to the show. Um, people have been uh, opposing fluoridation ever since its inception in New Zealand, and there have been some really influential and really dedicated people over the years. Um, really, I've just you know, taking on the, the baton. You've definitely picked up the mantle and um, I, I believe you started a website. Yeah, yeah, a few of us did. Um, Mark Atkin was a, um, my main person at that time and he's, he's still involved as well. So yeah, we've got fryfree.org.nz. It's a repository of a lot of information. So it's a particularly good for activists actually because they can find a lot of facts and details and, and it's unique to New Zealand. So we've got a whole big 
whole lot of information that's about New Zealand specific. Yeah. You know, once I found out the truth about fluoridation, I felt compelled to tell people about it because I realised that some people are really, really seriously harmed. You know, they can't yeah. even live their life normally because they're hypersensitive to fluoride and they're, they're sick. They're just continually sick. And, and probably yeah. not even knowing what's causing their illness if, if this is in the, the everyday drinking water. Definitely not. It's like the last place people think of. The people that do find out, they just happen to sort of click that when they go somewhere else, you know, they get better and then they finally click, oh, it's when I go home or, you know, when I live in certain areas that I get sick again. And they finally sort of then twig that could be the water. Yeah. You know? How big would you say is, is the movement as far as you're aware here in New Zealand? We have about 3,000 people signed up to our website, uh, our newsletter. And I think there's about 11,500 on the Facebook page. We find the people in the newsletter tend to be more active. When we had, there was a, um, a bill that, no, a change to MedSafe where they wanted to make, they exempted fluoridation chemicals from the Medicines Act because normally it would be a medicine because they're giving it to treatment or something. Well, was there a scientific reason to justify that change? <laughs> no, no. Did, did anybody no ask that question? Huh. Yeah, no, there was no scientific reason. The reason was because it couldn't be justified really because it contradicted the Medicines Act because under the Medicines Act, you can't go around promoting a therapeutic unless it's actually classified as a medicine. So they can't, they couldn't say that fluoridation chemicals reduce dental decay. That would normally come under the Medicines Act. So then if they did that, then you would have to be a practitioner. And right. the counsellors are not practitioners. They're not health practitioners. And right. They don't have a licence to practice medicine. It should be illegal. So to get around that, what they did is they exempted fluoridation chemicals. How convenient. From the Act. And when so, that happened, we had like about 1,300 people wrote into the uh, MedSafe, you know, the government. Now, this is um, a pretty big movement in New Zealand. And I've, I've always respected Kiwis for their being activists. Um, the first time I think what put New Zealand on my radar was when they swarmed the bay to keep the uh, nuclear ships out of New Zealand, you know, whether you agree or disagree with any of that, um, you know, you have to respect their willingness to get out there and do something and, and, you know, stand for what they believe in. I've always admired that. And I'm saying this as I'm a, a former U.S. Navy diver myself. But when I'd heard about that, I was like, good for you, Kiwis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was going to say, I suspect that we've become a bit more complacent over the years. I've I feel that the young people are more believing of what the the government says and what they're taught at university. Whereas I think if yeah. you went back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the university students were the leaders in uh, questioning the government. Yeah, you know, you know uh, it seems to come back to the universities that they're not really leading the charge for either freedom of speech or critical thinking. And now it's more about conformist and whatever the the state or the government says is is the proven science. But science itself is all about asking questions, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So That's I find right. that a little ironic. Um, now, you, it's fair to say you're anti-fluoridation. You you question it and you you think it should be uh, either better regulated or or stopped altogether. What do you think? 
Oh, it definitely stopped altogether. Yeah. Definitely, no, no doubt about that. You know, I just see I see fluoride completely as a poison. Um, yeah, now so, that, that actually leads me to something that I, I was doing some research and I found a quote on the Ministry of Health website regarding fluoridation. And I wanted to hear what you think of this. It says, fluoride is a natural substance that helps protect our teeth by making them stronger and by reducing tooth decay. It exists naturally in air, soil, freshwater, seawater, plants, and in lots of food. Uh, that doesn't sound so bad. What, what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, they make it sound really nice. Yeah, fluoride does occur naturally, but it's usually a, it's a contaminant. It's considered a contaminant, even though it occurs naturally. And when it occurs naturally in water, it normally comes at a water supply that has a lot of calcium and or magnesium, which the fluoride binds to and helps to reduce its toxicity. It is still toxic, though, and there's millions of people in China, India, and parts of Africa who get crippled over from the natural fluoride. And it's really tragic when you see the deformities and things like that that happen to the people having to consume this really high fluoride water. It comes from well water. But and this is naturally now, occurring. Um, naturally now, occurring. Yeah. And, and what, what we have in our water is in the municipalities where they do fluoridate and they, they add it, is this natural fluoride or is this something else that's being called fluoride? Yeah, no, it's not natural fluoride. So the fluoride that gets um, put into the drinking water around New Zealand comes from the phosphate fertiliser industry chimneys. So in the process of creating the phosphate fertiliser, uh, fluoride is a byproduct of that. And it's not allowed to be released into the air by law because it's so toxic and um, it poisons everything around it you know, the crops or cattle and people if they, if they were there. So they put a cap on the chimney and they spray water up the chimney so it binds with the fluoride and then they have this toxic fluoride called hydrofluorosilicilic acid that they would have to pay to get to dispose of to, you know, make it less toxic. Something I don't know what they'd do, but it would cost them probably a lot of money. So they're not allowed to just put it into a lake or a river or the sea. So they sell it to the councils and they drip feed it through the public water supply. Because so that you're way telling they me that fluoride that's being added to our water is a toxic waste product from industry. Yeah, definitely. Now, and a lot of people... That this is the fluoride that we need to consume for our teeth. Yeah, yeah. And it contains traces of lead, arsenic, mercury, cadmium, sometimes even uranium. Now, people find that hard to believe because it sounds so outrageous. It is outrageous. It's outrageous that they're, they're doing that, selling us this toxic waste, this industrial toxic waste. They're putting this it also into almost sounds like uh, the concept of sequestration, like nuclear power plants will do. They'll take their um, expanded uranium rods, right? They'll, um, they do like a vitrification process where they encase them in glass and then they bury them in small amounts as it's produced deep in mountainsides. It sounds like the fertilizer industry is doing the same thing, sort of drip feeding their waste product into our water supply. And they've sold municipal governments on the idea that this is for public health. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, right? it's like that, except it's even as worse in a way in that 50% of all the fluoride that you ingest gets stored in your bones as soft tissue. So not only are they using the earth or something to sequester you know, this waste, they're actually using us human beings. So our group Fluoride Free New Zealand 
did um, a TV ad a few years ago on this. It was a 30-second TV ad explaining where the fluoride comes from, how the people handling it have to have hazmat suits, et cetera. And it aired, you know, on TV. And so people complained about it because people understandably thought that had to be rubbish, that, you know, we couldn't seriously that be couldn't telling the truth. be true. I mean, this this does sound outrageous. Without calling you a conspiracy theorist, you know, I presume you must have evidence. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was people complained to the Advertising Standards Authority, and then we we responded with all our evidence about where exactly it comes from. Analysis, say, from Hamilton drinking water that shows it contains traces of lead, arsenic, mercury, et cetera. And um, the ASA had to side with us. They didn't uphold the complaints. Who's the ASA? Oh, Advertising Standards Authority. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So people so can find all that information on our on our website. They can find yep. the, the TV ads on the right-hand side. And if they go into New Zealand specific information under Advertising Standards Complaints or whatever, they'll find the complaints and they can get the, the detail of it. Yeah. We're told this from childhood. So this is all the more reason why it's kind of hard to believe. It's like telling a, a three-year-old there's no Santa Claus anymore. You know, it's kind of a shock to the system. Do all dentists agree on fluoridation? If you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now On Air, a weekly broadcast slash podcast on 96.9 Plains FM. To get the links, files, and show notes for this episode, head over to libertynow.com. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Do all dentists agree on fluoridation? No, not all dentists agree on fluoridation. So, you know, we've got dentists as part of our crew, mm. right? And they've, they've spoken out things. But they've come under pressure from the Dental Association and even the Dental Council. You know, there's a lot of dentists that are too scared to speak out about it. Right. And then there's a lot of dentists that they've just learned what they learned at dental school and they don't question it. Right. So the Dental Association is putting pressure on the practicing individual dentists. So the, the Dental Association as a body and other national and international groups believe that it is beneficial for people and helps ostensibly to reduce cavities. That's what they're, they're telling us. Yeah. And they're putting a lot of energy into debunking this, or if they take the time to, you know, threaten practicing dentists who, who question, I always like to ask the question, uh, the Latin qui bono, who benefits? If this is indeed, as you say, harmful, what's their motive? Why would they not say, hey, maybe we should question this? Yeah, my guess with the dentist is just that they don't want to lose face because they've been promoting this for 70 years in New Zealand. They're going to look pretty silly if they turn around now and say that they were wrong. And it's it's a natural right. thing, actually, because just imagine if you were someone that promoted fluoridation for years, because you at the beginning, you honestly believed it was good for teeth. And then it transpired that actually it's not good for teeth. Maybe maybe brushing it on, maybe. I don't, I don't use a fluoride toothpaste, but okay, you can brush it on and spit it out. But you find out that actually there's no benefit from swallowing fluoride and that actually it's harmful. I mean, the information now about neurotoxicity is compelling. So say if you were that person, 
first of all, the, the natural reaction would be to be denying that because that would be an awful feeling that instead of actually helping everybody, what you've done is harmed people. You know, your promotion of it has harmed millions of people through the generations in New Zealand. So it's natural that people would want to deny it. And also it does just become hard. And so that that's actually just a part of human nature as well. But the biggest thing now is that it is neurotoxic. So the US government has been funding studies for the National Institute of Health. There's been really good studies in the last few years. One of them was published in JAMA Pediatrics, which is the the top pediatric journal in the world. And what the study found was it was in, it was in Canada where they have fluoridated water, but at a lower level than we have in New Zealand. They only go up to 0.6 part per million, whereas we still aim for 0.85 part per million, which is a lot, actually. It's a big difference. And what they found is that children who are exposed in utero have lower IQ. It seems to be about for every milligram increase in fluoride, there's a lowering of about five IQ points. So how they did it is they looked at the the urine of the the pregnant mothers. When we ingest fluoride, we excrete about half. So what they know when they look at the fluoride levels of the urine, they could calculate how much fluoride the person had. So that actually gets down to the dose of the person rather than just the level of the water. Because the level of the water doesn't really tell us that much. You know, we could say we've got 0.85 of the water, but some people drink one litre a day, some people drink, three or four litres a day, somebody else drinks, you know, five cups of tea. Tea's high in fluoride. Right. So somebody else brushes their teeth twice a day with a high fluoride toothpaste. So we all have a different doses of fluoride. So anyway, this was able to work out the fluoride dose that the women were exposed to and then look at the IQ levels of the children. And the part of the IQ that they found was most compelling is not the verbal IQ, which can be affected, it is affected a lot by the parents. Yeah. You know, so depending on how much the parents read to the children and talk to them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, it's the other type of IQ, which is just about memory and about spatial ability. Very and so now the um, National Toxicology Program in the US have undertaken a big review. It's the first review of its kind for looking at fluoride and neurotoxicity. And um, what they've found is that fluoride is definitely neurotoxic. So they're saying at 1.5 part per billion. But that's, as I was saying, doesn't give you the dose that a person has, which is, you know, so it's kind of still their spin on it. So they're saying that if they make the admission that, well, yes, this is a neurotoxin that we're putting into the water, so we're going to lower the dosage, uh, just like you would, I suppose, with antibiotics, you know, or any other medication, right? You have to be very dose specific to the individual, their gender, their age, their body weight. So how can any rational person say, well, we're just going to give everybody the same dose, no matter how low. So how is it okay that that the, uh, the level of fluoride is acceptable at any level? Yeah. So really, when people think about it a little bit more, isn't it? It's it's farcical. The whole thing is farcical. Yeah. You can't deliver a medicine through the public drinking water. And, you know, for um, fetuses and for bottle-fed babies, they are receiving the highest dose 
you know, or dosage, milligram per kilo per day. And they're at the very, very critical times of brain development. So that's the times when people really, really need to avoid fluoridated water. So if there's anybody that's listening that lives in a fluoridated area, that is really important because the lowering of IQ in those two subsets is pretty much given now. I mean, I can't see how anyone can really deny that. And there's no benefit. There's, you know, not even any claimed benefit for that for that groups, those groups. Um, I've read that they're they're basing that evidence on the fact that since they started fluoridation, they've seen a reduction in cavities and caries in, in teeth. But I mean, could that also be attributed to, you know, better oral hygiene? Yeah, it would be lots of different things. What dispels that is that dental decay has reduced in all of the Western countries around the world, and the vast majority of them don't have any fluoridation. So all over Europe, where only a little bit of Europe is fluoridated, so one city in Spain, 10% of the UK, 70% of Ireland, dental decay has decreased dramatically in all of those countries. There goes that And they're doing better than us, actually. Interesting. So I, I don't really see any compelling argument for it, certainly a lot against it. How long have you been studying this? It sounds like you really have done some research. Oh, yeah, like 20 years now. Wow. That's <laughs> and so uh, thankfully, so, we've actually stopped it in some places. Yeah. You know, so a couple uh, questions. Anybody listening to this might wonder if their water is indeed fluoridated. Do you have uh, maps or, or lists of municipalities that have fluoridation? Yeah. On our website, fluoridefree.org.nz. Fluoridefree.org.nz. Yeah, that's okay, right. Yeah. yeah. And there's a tab for New Zealand information. One of them is, is my town fluoridated? And another one is, does my council fluoridate? So in New Zealand, there's only 21 councils out of 67 that do any fluoridation, but it works out to be about 50% of the New Zealand population because it's the big councils like Auckland and Wellington. Yeah, and Um, I mean, the neurotoxicity is, you know, not the only adverse health effect. What other effects are there besides the neurotoxic? Okay, well, effect on the thyroid would be the next biggest thing, and there's, you know, quite a lot of information about that. Doctors even used to use fluoride to lower people's thyroid function back in the 50s in Germany, Austria, and Argentina, I think. Really? So it was actually a medical treatment. So when people drink fluoridated water, they should be aware that what they're drinking is a medicine for their thyroid to lower their thyroid function. And so fluoride leads to depression, obesity, lethargy, and I would say that they are big problems in New Zealand. There's people not knowing that their thyroid isn't working properly because it's quite hard to actually get that determined. So there they are not knowing what's going on and they're just drinking this water. Wow. So it's, it's having a huge public health cost, having fluoridated water, huge. Yeah. You know, and then there's the effect on the bones. When you look at how much accumulates in the bones and what they figure would cause arthritis, skeletal fluorosis, you know, they couldn't know like the level that would cause skeletal fluorosis. Skeletal fluorosis has the same symptoms as arthritis. So it's kind of likely that people 60 and over in New Zealand, if they've had fluoridated water all of their lives, there'd only be some people in New Zealand that have had it all of their lives, uh, say if they're 60, because the first place it started was Hastings in 1953, I think, then Lower Hutt in 57. You know, Wellington and Auckland, it wasn't until like 64, 65, 
But people, you know, if they hit 60 and they've had fluoridated water their whole lives, I think the chances of having at least subarthritis is extremely high. Yeah. Uh, Mary, how can people who are concerned about this, how can they help you? What, what can they do? Okay, well, what they could do is um, go onto our website and sign up for our newsletters. It's fluoridefree.org.nz. Fluoride and fluoride is F-L-U-O-R-I-D-E. What we're doing now with Andrew Little, because he said that he wanted to have it a public debate, a scientific debate, we've sent an open letter to him and um, actually got into stuff. And where we said, yes, Andrew, we're willing to have a debate. When do you want to have it? And of course, we haven't heard back from him, but we're going to do some radio ads, which will be starting probably this week, where we're saying, come on, Andrew, when are you going to debate us? You said that you wanted to debate us. So where and when? And we are looking at doing um, a big thing in the Herald and maybe even a billboard or something like that. It depends on how much money we can raise. Okay. And I imagine yeah. just we should be able to access him as a public servant. Can you email him? Yeah, people could email Andrew, definitely. And that's actually something that we're asking people to do. Email Andrew Little directly. So that's just andrew.little at parliament.govt.nz. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, say to Andrew, they've heard that he wanted to debate us. So when is he going to do it? I think that's very fair. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's excellent. And if you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now on air, a weekly broadcast slash podcast on 96.9 Plains FM. If you'd like to hear more, head over to libertynow.com. And you can also get the links, files, and show notes for this episode. And if you care about liberty as much as I do, if you want to take action, please share it. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks a lot, John. Thanks for having me on. That's been awesome. Take care. Until next time, be good and keep asking questions. <laughs>